Welcome to SGO On The Go, where we discuss advances in gynecologic oncology research, clinical practice, and other hot topics in our subspecialty. I'm Maddie Facemeyer, and today we continue our series called Turnover Talks, bite-sized summaries of SGO webinars, short enough for your OR turnover. Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Lauren Cobb and a GYN oncologist at the Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas. Today we have Dr. Ahmed Al-Naimi uh, joining us for this turnover talk following the bowel resection in gynecologic cancer from fundamentals to mastery webinar. Um, as a brief introduction, Dr. Al-Naimi is an associate professor of gynecologic oncology at the University of Wisconsin and is the director of surgical quality at his institution. Um, so thank you, Dr. Alniami, for joining us here today. Um, your webinar with Dr. Bristow was truly fantastic and provides such valuable content to our membership. Um, so today we wanted to briefly highlight a few of the important points you made during the webinar. Well, thank you again for the invitation and thanks for the SGO for this wonderful opportunity to share our knowledge and, and uh, spread the words and uh, maybe get to uh, get better, all of us. Thank you. So to begin, let's start at the decision to resect or not to resect. Um, so let's say that you have an incidental enterotomy. Um, how do you decide whether you will resect or close it primarily? And just primarily, so let's just, uh, as an example, let's say in a patient undergoing interval cytoreductive surgery for ovarian cancer, let's say she has an incidental enterotomy approximately a centimeter along the tenia of the bowel or large bowel um, trying to resect a nodule. Would you feel comfortable primarily repairing this? <clears throat> yeah, I think um, looking at the enterotomy or colotomy, depending on how you recognize it, most important is to know that this is not a thermal injury, which I think you alluded to that. It is not a thermal injury. So um, for that size, yes, I will close it primarily. Uh, I want to make sure that when I close it, I give time to come back to make sure that she's not vascularly compromised. And I want to make sure that when I close it, it doesn't or it will not impact the lumen of the bowel upon which the closure happened. And uh, so, yes, for that scenario, I will close it primarily. And now what if the same scenario happened in small bowel during uh, a uh, inter interval cytoreductive surgery? And somebody who's had yeah. chemotherapy was the other point of that. Right, right. I think, I think that's where uh, things get tricky a little bit. You know, one centimeter in a small bowel um, depends really on the health of the bowel it depends on the trajectory of the enterotomy in, in relation to the longitudinal axis of the bowel. If it's a vertical, that is in a horizontal, that is in a 90 degree um, against the lumen, then upon closure, you can even imagine that there will be narrowing of the, of the, of the lumen of the bowel, which is something that we don't want to. Um, and it's also not only the length and the, in relation to the circumference, but it's really the location. A one centimeter closer to the mesentery you know, you always worry about closing that will compromise the vasculature of that segment. Uh, so caution uh, to be used in using only the length uh, because it's really the location, it's the trajectory and it's a proximity to the vascular supply of the bowel. But in general, if it's less than two thirds of the circumference of the bowel, and if you close, you are far away from the mesentery and the blood supply of the bowel. And upon closure, there will be no compromise on the lumen or there is kinking of that bowel to maintain integrity, then I think you are good to go and, and you, can not, you can leave it like that. But if there is a vascular compromise, if the lumen is narrowed 
or if the closure causes a lot of kinkling, which I call disturbance of the laminar flow of the small bowel, then I would think you have to think twice, either the, revise the closure or uh, try to resect. Okay. Yeah. And let's say that this patient has received pelvic radiation in the past, even for some other reason. Would that change your decision making? Yeah. So I think, you know, what you're alluding to the fact that, you know, small bowel uh, or large bowel that has been radiated, we know the radiation cause and arthritis, that is poor wound healing, poor perfusion. So you know that there will be compromise on a perfusion or healing. And, um, and so scar formation is, is suboptimal. Not only that, but other factors that might actually affect the the healing is low albumin, uh, poor nutritional status, that is, or other comorbidities, including renal failure or liver failure, for that matter. Uh, all those can impede the closure. So, in that sense, I will think really twice before just a simple primary closure, and I will have any opportunity to really re revise it, resect, and reconnect. Now, that being said you know, resecting and reconnecting a radiated bowel is even more endeavor and more uh, troublesome. So um, it is not an easy answer. Uh, I think you have to look at the big picture. You have to be uh, closing with a skeptical eye. Uh, sometimes if you primary close and you don't want to resect, you can divert proximally uh, and then close the, the, uh, the diversion in later days. Or you can just close primarily and hope for the best. But um, caution needs to be taken uh, not to take a radiated bowel, as you alluded to, uh, very lightly. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. And so um, let's say that you do decide to close it primarily. Um, what is your technique for doing this in terms of suture? And, um, and do you make a different decision for large versus small bowel? Yeah, I mean, you know, so you're looking at the small bowel or large bowel lumen, we would always love to close in two layers if it's possible. Um, the choice of a stitch, the, the choice of a needle depends on, of course, our knowledge of what the stitch and that needle uh, means. For example, for example, the most commonly used uh, needles or actually uh, sutures are the Vicryl, which is scientifically called the polyglactin 910. Um, this is a synthetic. It's always, almost always multi-braided. However, it does exist that uh, monofilament vicryl do happen. And in any surgical institution, uh, if you ask the, um, the colorectal team that they will do usually stock uh, a monofilament vicryl. The, the reason I use vicryl because not only is synthetic, but the delayed absorption of that vicryl really depends on hydrolysis rather than causing an inflammatory process. So it's hydrolysis from the swelling actually causes the lysis of that vicryl. That's in comparison to the silk, which is totally fine to do, but the silk is almost always braided. It's natural. So it's tensile strength and absorption really depend or really happens from phagocytosis, which is an inflammatory process. So the more vicryl we used to do, the more in concept that we will create some sort of inflammation. What I do in the bottom mean, the is, more silk that you use. The more silk, I'm sorry. The more silk we use, uh, the more phagocytosis and inflammatory process we will uh, we will anticipate. So what I usually do is close the first layer with the vicryl. The second layer is absolutely fine to close it with the with the vicryl. But um, you know, I use I use silk as an interrupted uh, as a second layer. Um, 
coming back to your point of the of the radiated bowel and the second layer i will use the pds with the which is the polydioxone uh, which is monofilament um, it's usually longer acting and it's usually uh, not uh, going to be absorbed in a in a short fashion so it just gives you a little bit of a of a security blanket Okay. The needles I use is SH, not CT. CT is cutting, and I don't want to cut any any lumen. But SH is the shearing, and that usually uh, shears and it's a blunted tip. So uh, that's what I use. Yeah. Okay. And do you typically what size uh, suture do you use? I use two O uh, for both. Um, you can totally use an O if it's a colon, um, but I, I find the O. Uh, vicral or silk is a little bit harsh on on tissue, so I use two O. Um, okay. Unless the enterotomy is large and big, and then I start doing thinking of the PDS, and I also use two O. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, so, kind of switching gears, let's say that you decide instead to use uh, to res to resect the bowel that we're referring to, and and decide uh, and you need to use a stapler device, obviously. So let's discuss a little bit about stapler uh, cartridges. Um, a little bit more, and maybe if you wouldn't mind taking us through how you select that cartridge. Yeah, so, you know, so thank you. This is the most commonly questioned uh, question that is uh, seen uh, by myself, by our fellows, or, or any anybody. So uh, the reason we do that is, you know, for example, I do a GIA, and I do a length of 75. I don't do a 55. I don't do 90. Um, and here's the concept. The length um, I choose 75 because we usually lose uh, half a centimeter or five millimeters on each end from retraction and around centimeter on scarring. Um, and if you do a TA to close the, the end, then you lose a centimeter and a half, that is 10 to 15. So the 75 millimeter length GIA will really turn out to be three or even less than that. That is three centimeters or 30 millimeters. So I usually do 75. There's nothing wrong with using 55, but you have to be conscious that, you know, 55 might narrow the lumen. Uh, in pediatric, it's commonly used in 55. 90 is a little bit too too, uh, too large, and I use it only when I do small bowel to large bowel, and especially if there is a bowel obstruction and there's discrepancy um, in swelling, and that will at least guarantee me a, a, a big lumen. So that's the length. In no, the I'm sorry to interrupt, but do you use, when you said it's okay to use the 55, you mean in small bowel? In small bowel, you can use the 55 if you really are sure that there is not a whole lot of swelling and you're not going to lose a lot of luminal uh, uh, diameter. Okay. Uh, in pediatric, you can definitely, a lot of pediatric surgeons do the 55, but as an adult, as an adult surgeon, I, you know, usually operate on adult patients and I usually 75. 90 is fine if there is discrepancy, as I said, and there is bowel obstruction, and there's a lot of swelling and edema, then 90 is, is okay just to allow more loss of that uh, retraction. So that's the length. Um, in terms of the staples, there are a variety of uh, colors of staples, and I usually memorize them in numbers. Uh, they come in uh, the 20s, 30s, and 40s. So 28, 26 is usually a vascular staple. I use it for vascular, so I don't use it for uh, bowel resection. The three point something, which is 3.6 or 3.8, that's what I usually do for small bowel because that's where the tensile strength of those staples is just going to be just enough and perfect for small bowel and not to compromise it. And I use the four, 4.1, 4.3 for large bowel, most commonly is 4.1 for the large bowel, 3.8 for the small bowel, and that's what I usually do. 
questions comes up if it's a small bowel to large bowel, then I usually do the 4.1. Uh, and and just because I I don't want the large bowel to of course uh, leak, so you go to the to the largest. And again, to your uh, theme of questions about radiated bowel, I think radiated bowel are thicker bowel. So if it's a small bowel that is heavily radiated, I go to 4.1. And if it's larger bowel that is radiated, I go to 4.3. The the color codings to me it doesn't really matter as much, uh, but just keep an eye on the on the colors of your of the colors of the staples on your institution. Remember that those changes, so we memorize the numbers. They'll always be true. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And so um, what about the um, EEA device? Yeah, so, you know, I always think about the EEA as actually a straight, um, uh, a straight which is curved to make to be a circular. So the end-to-end -end anastomosis EEA is actually two staples with a knife in between. And, the, uh, and it's always circular. And it's end-to-end. -end. The sizes comes to be 22, 28, 31, 32, and 34. And what I usually do is uh, 28 or 29, depending on the company. Uh, and that uh, 28 or 29 is the diameter of the, the inside diameter of the lumen that you're cutting. Um, I use 28 because it's the most commonly used. Um, it can uh, connect a large bowel, to, of course, to large bowel. We can even connect small bowel to, la to large bowel. That's a totally different uh, subject that we can talk about in a, in a future or in a different uh, podcast or a different uh, interview. Um, the, the concept is that when you use 28 or 29, then you're losing around a centimeter from traction and scarring, and that you will end up with 1.8, that is 18, or 19, that is millimeters. Um, remember, the structure of, of uh, bowel is defined as less than 12, that is 1.2 centimeter. So when you do 28 or 29, you get down to 18 and 19, which is comfortable enough. Um, unless you have to revise it, unless you have to do stitches, then you have to really think about redoing uh, the end-to-end -end anastomosis. In terms, uh, in sometimes when there's a lot of uh, bowel, um, large bowel and inflamed and swollen, then I go to 33. But typically, I don't want to go there because the wider you go, that is 31, 33, the more that that you will get um, peripheral tissues and probably mesentery that you will compromise the vascular supply and then you'll end up with a leak. So that's what really a EEA is. It purely is a, it's a stapler device with in a circular fashion. Okay. And then let's say that um, you're using a TA. Um, how would you how would you make a decision about the cartridge for that? Yeah. So the TA um, is the um, is uh, is used when I do a small bowel resection side to side, and the aperture I use the TA to staple things, um, to staple the two ends. Um, usually comes in 45, 60 millimeters, and 90 millimeters. 90 is way too much. Uh, because if the 90 is wider than the small bowels that you're connecting, then you have uh, staples falling on, on each side and it just creates a messy uh, surgical situation. So I usually do 60, uh, which is enough just to, uh, to combine both the bowels. Remember, when you use the TA, the thickness of the TA is around 4, uh, 4.1, that is 4 millimeters, plus the building up. It comes to be a 7 or uh, 10 millimeters loss. So this is why when I use the 75 to reconnect, 
I always remember that when I use the TA to close the top, uh, I will lose another centimeter. And that's where I like the 75 rather than the 55. If you use the 55 for side to side, don't use the TA because you're really shortening the, the, the lumen. But that's what I do is fire the staple through and you can just leave that uh, things alone um, as long as you feel like that, that uh, created a good uh, closure. Yeah. Usually the TA generally is in your in any institution at 60 uh, millimeter length, it is 3.8. If you go to 90, then you might actually have choices of 3.8 depth versus 4.1. So if you take 90, just make sure that it's the 3.8 depth. But if you take 60, it's almost always 3.8, yeah, which is right for the small bowel. This is why I say 75 for this side to side and 60 and then call it a day. Now, um, do you typically over sew your staple line? I know you mentioned in the webinar um, yeah. a little bit about this, but yeah, it's a, it's a, almost a point of contention between surgeons. I think you know, at the bottom line, it, it doesn't really matter. What I do is I I do close it, and that's added a second layer of complexity above the staples. I don't want one or two staples to get loose, and there is a micro. A leak and the micro leak, if it propagated in the bowel, then it creates really a true leak. My understanding or my practice as surgery is more like art than science at that level is that you want to create a second layer. So if there's a micro perf or micro leak, again, there is added security. There's no randomized trial. You are fine without closing, but I do. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I have a, another question. Early in the in the webinar, you'd mentioned um, the advantages of using staplers versus hand-sewn anastomoses and mentioned efficiency and consistency as benefits of the stapler. Um, and not to get too much into that sort of detail, but when, when might be a time that you might think about using a hand-sewn anastomosis? Yeah, so, you know, that's always also comes up in discussions, and I, I'm glad that you asked, Lauren. Thank you. Um, the staples are um, used when there are two loops of bowel that are free, mobile, well vascularized, and opposed in, a, in an anatomic relaxed fashion, and there is no cancer in between. That's almost always the case in our situations. However, sometimes you are you end up in a situation where it's a tugenum, it's a duodenum that you can't mobilize enough, so you can't physically just put staples through those bowels because they are really stuck into the uh, ligament of trice. Even if you mobilize that, it's really hard to bring them together. So that's one. Um, second is that if there are cancer on the antimesenteric part of the small bowel and there's no other way that you can, you cannot just resect the whole thing, then it's hard to staple through cancer because you know, A, the staple is not going to take. If it takes, it's going to leak. And if it takes, and it doesn't leak, and if you get chemo, it will melt and it will leak down the road. So that's where I start thinking about hand sewing uh, together. Of course, the pluses and minuses comes in, in play. And, um, you know, sometimes even if I do a hand uh, sewing, I ask uh, another one of my guys just to come and, and check it out and check the leak because there is no pride in that game. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough situation. And so that's where I really go into uh, hand sewing rather than stapling, but I prefer stapling if the conditions are lined up. Makes yeah. sense. Well, yeah. I, I think that'll wrap up our discussion today, um, but thank you so much for joining us. Um, we really, really appreciate your time. Well, thank you again for the opportunity, and I, I, uh, I love this uh, cause, and I love our community, and I think we will only get better if we share the knowledge. Thank you. Thank you.
The information presented is that of the contributing faculty and presenters and does not necessarily represent the views of the Society of Gynecologic Oncology or any named company or organization providing financial support. Specific therapies discussed may not be approved and or specified for use as indicated by the faculty or presenters. If you like what you heard today, please let us know by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and hitting the follow button wherever you're listening. If you have suggestions for future SGO on-the-go podcasts, please email us at education at sgo.org. 